Welcome from Tiffin Baptist Church. We hope you enjoy this message. Good morning, Tiffin. Morning. Happy Easter. Yeah, I got one. Thank you. <laughs> hey, uh, for Easter, wouldn't it be great if your pastor would preach a sermon on Christ's resurrection, but we're going to observe communion today. I thought for myself it would be good for me to remember uh, Christ's death and burial and resurrection on this day. And so I asked the uh, uh, powers that be here at Tiffin Baptist if we could this morning observe communion as part of our worship. And our passage today, if you want to get there, you can see on the board is going to be in Matthew 26. So if you would grab a copy of the scriptures... Uh, or open up that app on your smartphone and get to Matthew 26. We will read a portion of that this morning. And what, uh, what I've always uh, imagined, and um, I don't know if you've ever thought of it this way, but I've always thought of Jesus' last week as, um, as uh, Jesus is walking down death row. And I know he's not walking down a death row like we would see it, where it's a hallway and there are cells to the left and to the right of people who are also condemned to die. But that is, in effect, what Jesus Christ did as he walked down the streets of Jerusalem in his last week of life, is he would see people in cells condemned also to die for a different reason. Jesus would be condemned to die because he was perfect and because he claimed to be king. We, however, are condemned to die because of sin. Jesus would look at people on his last week, left and right, peeking into ourselves, and instead of looking at us and saying, you're on your own, sucker, he said, I'm about to break these guys out. I'm about to bust them out of jail. And I'm going to do it in the way that they never expected. And that is, I'm going to take the seat for them and open up all the cells. And so today, as we sit down and we celebrate Easter, we're going to have a little conversation about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And today we are going to observe the Lord's Supper. And we're going to read about Jesus' last meal. Have you ever thought about, if you were ever given that option, what it would be for you? Like, have you ever just actually thought, like, if somebody said, you know, Derek, what would your last meal be? What would you say? Pretty simple, right? Cheeseburger and fries. So if somebody said, what would your last meal be? Mildred, what would you say? Mildred would get nothing. Mildred would get whatever the guy next to him is getting. I'll have what he's having. So I don't know what's on the menu, but whatever that guy over there ordered, I'll, I'll take that. Well, I've never really thought about it either, but I, I'm pretty sure I would probably, I'd get pizza from like my favorite pizza restaurant, I think is, that's something I never really fix at home is pizza. And it would probably be something like that. But Jesus' last meal wasn't much of a selfish request. Uh, His last meal was an act of worship. Setting into motion what we will observe today. 
You're asked, what would your last meal be? And the second question, who would you sit down and eat it with? So, Derek, you get your cheeseburger and fries. And the next question is, all right, Derek, who would you like to sit at your table? Who would you say? Yeah. You'd pick your close family, right? Might be some family members that don't get the invite. That's how it would be for, that's how it would be for me. I'd be like, how can I do, how can I put this tactfully? Can you just invite that side of the family? <laughs> um, Jesus' last meal wasn't one of selfishness. Jesus' last meal was one of discipleship, where he took his closest friends. He didn't have any of his family members there by blood. He had his friends there, and he took his last meal as a moment to teach them about how to worship. Now, as we get into our passage today in Matthew 26, there's a lot of holidays that the Jews would celebrate. And I probably have them uh, listed up here today. There's a lot. And uh, I've, I've got them up here. And uh, we'll just, I'll just fly through them. I just want you to see that, that they have a lot of holidays that we're like, say what? And um, I'll just fly through them. The first one is uh, Shavuot. That's the uh, Feast of Pentecost. You remember in Acts when they're preaching at Pentecost? Anybody remember this story? And Peter's preaching, and then thousands of people get saved on that day. They're celebrating this. Pentecost happens 50 days after Passover. That's what Pentecost means. It is actually to uh, give thanks for God giving the law and his provisions for it. And so if, you, if you're ever going through your calendar and you're like, there's always those dots on your calendar for your phone or whatever, and you hit one of those dots, you're like, National Potato Day. I didn't know we had a National Potato Day. And then you flip down a little bit farther and you find out there's, uh, you know, weird holidays. Most of the Jewish holidays are on your calendar if you've got an app on your phone. The next one is uh, Sukkot. That's the Feast of Tabernacles, or they called it tents or booths. Do you remember when they went up the mountain hike? And um, Jesus transformed and started glowing and caught on fire like the burning bush in the Old Testament. And Peter, James, and John said, hey, let's just make some tents right here. You see, that happened during the Feast of Tabernacles. And they were like, what better way to celebrate this holiday than let's make a tent right up here where this happened. I mean, we've seen something amazing. And this was basically to, um, to, to uh, show God's provision as they were wandering through the desert and living in mobile homes, not ones on wheels, but tents. Then you've got the uh, Day of Atonement. This one's called Yom Kippur. You ever heard of that one? Yom Kippur? That one's a pretty big deal. Day of Atonement was the one time of year that the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and sacrifice sprinkling blood on the mercy seat. That would basically atone for the sins of all of Israel. It would sprinkle it on the Ark of the Covenant. And uh, they don't have that now. So you're asking, well, what do they do now? Well, now it's fasting, prayer, and repentance because they don't have a temple that a priest can go into. And just as Dell taught this morning, God ripped the uh, cloth right in half anyway, so 
There was no Holy of Holies. It was everywhere. It, like, let it out. You had the Feast of Dedication. This one's called Hanukkah. Heard of that one? Yeah, I'm saying all these in the American version, but I'm sure if you, uh, if you had some Yiddish in you, you'd be able to say it a lot better than me. But you know Hanukkah, that's the eight crazy days of Hanukkah, right? And um, what happened is the Jews beat the Greeks who had defiled their temple and basically went in there, put up idols, and had a pig roast all in the temple. And so they defiled it. And so when the, when the Jews finally got the temple back, they said, let's dedicate this temple and let's light the menorah and let's let it burn for eight days before we do anything else to cleanse it. Well, they only had one day of oil. They only had enough oil for one day, but they said, well, let's just go ahead and do it anyway. And one day of oil miraculously lasted all eight days. Thus, we have Hanukkah. And the Jews, they uh, celebrate God's great provision. As a matter of fact, God's great miracle is actually put on a spin top, and it's got four words on it. A great miracle happened here. Great miracle happened here. And they spin it, and they play a game with it. Um, you ever heard of a dreidel? Yeah? Some of you are like, no. <laughs> I've seen a dreidel. I used to have a student that was Jewish and a long time ago, and he brought one in and showed it to me. And when it was this time of year, he would wear his yarmulke, the little cap on their head. Then there was Rosh Hashanah, Feast of Trumpets. This is Jewish New Year. This is basically celebrating everything that God created. This was acknowledging God as the creator of everything. Started it all, and that was called the Feast of Trumpets, Rosh Hashanah. I say all that because I get to this. Passover was the top of the top, cream of the crop. Of all holidays, this was the holiday. So you ask people, what's your favorite holiday, right? So, Benny, what's your favorite holiday? Is that true, Debbie? Is it Christmas? Yeah, or is it Thanksgiving? His favorite holiday is whatever holiday is your favorite. We all know this. <laughs> so what's Benny's favorite holiday? It's Thanksgiving. See? Now you know. Now you know. Uh, yeah, so you ask somebody, and you probably would we'd get... There, some people would feel guilty, like they'd be like, deep down inside they're thinking, man, I really like Halloween. Or deep down inside they're thinking, Independence Day, fireworks, I like that one, you know, or maybe they're thinking day off from work, Labor Day, Memorial Day, but then they feel guilty and they're like, it's Christmas, it's Easter, and they, they pick something because they begin to feel that there's something more to holidays than just selfishness. Well, I'll tell you, if you walked up to a Jew on the street and you asked them, what's your favorite holiday, there would be no question to it. They would say, Passover. They would say, it's Passover. More was done for Passover than any other holiday. As a matter of fact, you could skip out on all the other ones, but not Passover. You couldn't skip out on that one. And Passover, as we all know, uh, as being uh, 50 days prior to Pentecost, it was to uh, signify their deliverance from Egypt. It was to signify when God literally passed over them. 
And so that's where we find ourselves today, is we find ourselves um, looking over this actual meal. I'm still in Mark 15 from Sunday school. How about I get to where we're supposed to be today? 26, 17. And so before we go, we're going to read this passage of Scripture. And before I read, as usual, I'd like, to God, I'd like God to bless our time and bless this passage of Scripture. God, this morning... First of all, God, we thank you. Thank you for Easter. Thank you for uh, hope. Thank you for deliverance. Thank you for um, the fact that we can live life without a glass half empty kind of attitude. That God, that you have completely and utterly filled our cup in every way. You filled it by taking God's wrath and allowing that cup to be poured out on you. And this morning, Lord, if you would just be so kind as to reveal a little bit more of your love and your grace through Scripture today. God, if you would take Scripture today and use it as a mirror to reflect parts of us that need to be addressed. That, God, that we don't come in here and just play the game of church, but we come in here and we let your word change us. That, God, when we feel conviction in our heart that we don't walk out of here feeling condemned and guilty, but that we make it right with you this morning. God, we appreciate all you do for us, and we trust everything in your Son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. We will read Matthew 26, 17 through 30. Starting in 17. On the first day of unleavened bread, that's Passover, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat Passover? Jesus replied, go into, this, go into the city to a certain man, he said, and tell him, the teacher says, my time is near, I'm celebrating the Passover at your place with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, he was reclining at the table with the twelve while they were eating. He said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. Deeply distressed, each one began to say to him, surely not I, Lord. Verse 23, he replied, the one who dipped his hand with me in the bowl, he will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to the man by who the Son of Man is betrayed. It would be better, it would have been better for him if he had not been born. Judas, his betrayer, replied, Surely not I, Rabbi. You have said it, he told him. Verse 26. As they were eating, Jesus took the bread, blessed it, broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for, the many, for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Well, this is what we're going to talk about this Easter morning. Is we're going to remember what Christ did by looking at a passage of Scripture. And the first thing I thought of as I read through this and thought about what did I say, what I wanted to say this morning is, man, our holidays stressful sometimes because we pile so much on top of them. We think that this holiday rolls around, whatever holiday is your favorite, and we just pile and pile and pile on it, and then we just lose the 
actual part of it that we wanted to enjoy, which was maybe hanging out with friends and family, and we've just stressed ourselves out. I mean, me and my, me and my wife were sitting the other day, and we were a little bitter and a little upset because we don't get to spend Easter with my son and my daughter-in-law, who are up in Kansas City. That can be stressful. And then yesterday, I was putting together a ham to be cooked today for my family, and so I'm working on getting food ready, and it can just be a stressful thing. Well, can I say that a huge part of Passover uh, was not any different than what we do today? They got together and they ate. They ate. They ate. And you don't want to be the person that takes the number one holiday, which is very symbolic, and ruin dinner. So last Easter, me and my wife actually went to Kansas City so we could spend some time with my son and daughter-in-law for Easter. We, we weren't home. And so I left the instructions with my brother to take care of the ham. And he burnt the ham. Burnt it. It was already pre-cooked. So all you have to do is warm the thing up. But he burnt it. It was like ham jerky. And it was basically the talk is, yeah, Brian's ham was terrible. We're, we're glad you're back. But can you imagine stepping up to the plate on the holiday of all holidays that's very symbolic and very worshipful and ruining the meal? So it's very obvious why these guys come to him, John and James and Peter, and they're like, hey, Jesus, I don't know if you realize this, but Passover doesn't get put over in a few hours or even 30 minutes. This takes time. And so Jesus says, okay, I got this. He says, go find a guy doing woman's work. Now, you're, you're like, I don't see that in the scripture. Well, it says in verse 18, go into the city and find a certain man. Well, if you read in the other passages of scripture, which would be Luke 22, Mark 14, and John 13, for those of you that like to read the other accounts, Jesus actually tells them to go find a guy carrying a jar of water. Guys don't carry jars of water. Girls carry that. You're like, well, that's... That's chauvinist. <laughs> well, that's how it was. Hey, when I grew up in my house, guys didn't wash dishes. We cut wood and we mowed the lawn. And we didn't vacuum either. And that's how it was in my house. So if my dad walked in and said, hey, uh, go find John, uh, he would not have said, go find John, he's doing the dishes. He would have not have said that. That's something that just didn't happen in our house. And something that didn't happen in Jerusalem is a guy didn't carry a jar of water. So the first thing these guys are thinking is, I'm going to find a guy doing woman's work. And that's how we're going to start to prepare the most important holiday meal of the year. And it just cracks me up that Jesus is always on plan and on schedule. Because currently in this group of 12, there is one that wants him dead. There's a traitor. And Jesus is keeping everything quiet so that on Friday is when he dies, not any day sooner than that. And wouldn't you like to be the guy who could tell his grandkids, hey, guess who ate at our house today? I've always wondered if I was that guy, would I like, like the chair that Jesus sat in, which I don't think he sat in a chair, but I think he probably sat in a place uh, we'll read that here in a little bit, that he reclined, which means that he probably wasn't sitting in the chair. So you know the famous picture of the Lord's Supper where they're all sitting on one side of the table and they're all sitting on little benches and chairs? That's not true. 
it was probably a really low table and they were all sitting on the ground laying down and leaning on each other, which kind of sounds like breakfast in bed, which I'm for, but I've never really had breakfast in bed, but it sounded kind of neat. But here Jesus is, and he's setting things up, and I wonder if this guy, like said, guess who ate at our house today? Guess who showed up? And I wonder what kind of stories he would tell his kids and his grandkids. And I wonder what kind of stories we tell about Easter. If it's just about family and food and Easter egg hunts and marshmallow bunnies and chicks, or if we ever get to the real reason. And at a time when 250,000 lambs could not remove one sin, Jesus is making preparations to set up the holiday of all holidays to be about him and not about Egypt. So it's Thursday, and here's basically how the meal would go down. I don't know if you know how the typical Passover meal would go down, but I want you to see how we have shrunk it down. But this is a typical Passover meal, and I've probably got it up here for you. The first thing they would do is they would all share one of four coming cups of wine. Now somebody says, what kind of wine was this? We'll tell you this, it was very diluted, doubly diluted. Sometimes it's referred to as fruit of the vine, which means it had almost no alcoholic content to it at all. Because little kids would be drinking it. And drunkenness was certainly not something you wanted to happen at the Lord's Supper, which the church would get in trouble for later on. So they would first share a cup of wine. They would next ceremonially, ceremonially hand wash and clean themselves. I figured they would want to reverse that, but that's not what they did. And it was during this time that, and it's recorded in one of the other Gospels, not in this one, that they get into an argument about who's the greatest. Like they say, I think I'm the one that's the best. I should sit next to Jesus. I'm the one that's, like they go, they wash their hands, and now it's time to sit down, and they start arguing about who should sit next to Jesus. And how does Jesus answer this? First, he chews them out, and he says, I can't believe you guys are arguing about this. And then he tells them about what it means to be a leader, and that is to be a servant. And then he stops talking, and you remember what he does? He goes around and he washes everybody's feet. He takes all of his clothes off, and he washes everybody's feet in the most exposed and vulnerable way. And they all shut up. That's how this meal was going down. Thirdly, there were bitter herbs and a date sauce eaten with unleavened bread. This is actually where we pick the story up. This is actually where we pick the story up. So Jesus is reclining. They're, they're getting ready to eat. And he's reclining at the table. And he says this in verse 21. While they were eating... This is the bitter herbs and date sauce eaten with unleavened bread. Jesus says this, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. Jesus drops the bombshell of all bombshells at a holiday dinner. You ever had that kind of a stressful moment at a holiday dinner? Where all of a sudden everybody's fighting and arguing about something? Well, Jesus just got through getting them all settled down about arguing about who's the greatest, 
And then he stops and he drops a bombshell and says, one of you sitting at this table is a traitor. And the crazy thing is, none of them knew who it was. Nobody. Nobody. They would all feel the shame of being a traitor, right? Scripturally, none of them hung around Jesus when it came right down to it. They all flew the coop. Every one of them took off. Peter thought he'd be bad and stick around for a while, but we find out he actually denied Christ to a level that nobody else ever did, which is somebody came right up and says, aren't you a Christian? And he says, I don't know that guy. Three times that happened. Instead of them praying and singing hallelujah, they were hiding. And when it came right down to it, only three people actually were in the know of who the betrayer was. Obviously, the betrayer, Judas. Obviously, Jesus. And old John asked, secretly leaned over to Jesus and says, Hey, Jesus, come on, tell me who it is. And then Jesus says, verse 23, The one who dipped his hand with me in the bowl will betray me. And the Son of Man will go just as it's written about him. But woe to the man by who the Son of Man is portrayed. It would be better for him if he'd not been born. You see, Judas is overtaken by his greed. And he's not a true follower. And what I have to say about this is that as we observe communion this morning, that communion is only for those who have received Christ. You see, there's 12 of them sitting around the table, but one of them is going to get dismissed, and they're not going to partake of communion, and that's Judas. Because Jesus says, this act of worship is for those who know me. Those who have admitted what a sinful and hopeless state of rebellion they are against God, and that the only way to make this right is to believe in the person, work, and deity of Jesus Christ that he willingly went to the cross some 2,000 years ago on a Friday and he allowed people who absolutely hated him to kill him so that he could be the requirement for sin, which is death. And that this act alone is what makes us right with God. We believe it, we admit it, and we proclaim it. But Judas isn't a pawn like some people say he is. He's not a little chess piece moved around by God. You see, Judas, up until the very end, had the choice to accept and believe and proclaim Jesus' goodness, but he chose not to. He hung around with Jesus for three years, seeing all the miracles that he did, and all he was doing the whole time was planning his retirement, how much money he could get out of this guy. And while the 11 would later be confused, Jesus says, don't be confused. I knew it was coming. So this morning, a little different of a service for you. Before I say anything more about the passage, I'm going to stop and I'm going to ask Sandra to come up here and play a song. And I'm going to give ourselves some time. Because I think when we come to communion, I think we have gotten very good at hiding who we are. If 12 guys could have one person in the midst of them, and they have no clue that he was a traitor and had sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. How easy is it for us to walk in Tiffin Baptist on any given Sunday and hide who we really are?
So while Sandra plays, maybe it's time for you to quit hiding. Maybe it's time for you to confess that sin that is sitting deep down inside you that nobody, even your wife or your sister or your brother or your mom or your dad know about. Because I'm telling you, while those 12 sat around that table, there was one person at that table that they could not hide from. That knew, no matter how sneaky Judas thought he was, he was as plain as day as the person sitting at that table that Christ extended one last time for him to believe. And before we take communion this morning, I would like to give you a moment to do just that. To just stop hiding from Jesus Christ. However this works out for you, maybe it's a moment where you just bow your head. Maybe you put your arm around your wife and you pray with her. Maybe you grab the hand of your mom, your dad, your parent, and you pray with them. Maybe you come down and pray with your pastor. But that you stop. And before you honor Christ with your life and observe communion, you get yourself right. I'll pray and then we'll have just that, that time for us. God, this morning, we come to you with broken hearts and humble attitudes. That God, as we begin to observe something that was set in motion a long time ago, that God, I ask for the courage for us to step out and stop hiding anymore of who we are with you. It's pointless. You see right through us anyway. Pray this in your Son, Jesus Christ's name.
Well, Jesus dismissed Judas. Then they had their second or fourth cup of wine. Then they sang a song, something out of Psalms 113 through 118, called the Hallel, where we get hallelujah. And then they would share a kosher meal. And this kosher meal is where we pick up 26th verse, as they were eating. And I'm going to ask um, Jay and Benny if they would come up and Brian and begin to pass out the elements. And first we're going to observe taking the bread. And while these gentlemen do this, I'm going to keep talking about the significance of the bread. And it was during this time that Jesus took the bread. And you see, Jesus is changing a thousand-year-old tradition where they had spent time observing their exit from Egypt. Jesus says, I'm radically changing it. I'm radically changing it right now. You see, sin has a bill, and it's death. It's always been that way. When Adam and Eve sinned, God killed an animal to cover them up. When Cain and Abel, when they had to bring a sacrifice, they had to kill something. Abraham discovered that uh, the sacrifice was pretty costly when God said, I need you to sacrifice your own son. But then he found out that God provided anyway. And then they get to Passover with Moses, and they found out it had to be perfect. That Jesus one day would give his body to cover all the sin. And it would be messy. God's requirement was his body. Not just a little bit of it, but a lot of it. As Jesus broke a big piece of bread, he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat. As these gentlemen pass out the juice, which is representative of Christ's blood. At the time that Jesus was dying, a quarter of a million lambs would be heard being killed. And not one, not one sin was taken away by any of those lambs. 
Only Jesus Christ kept the law. Only Jesus Christ filled all of prophecy. Only Jesus Christ had the shoulders to bear God's wrath. Only Jesus Christ had what it took to beat sin and death straight on and win. It had to be Him. And it was messy. Messy to a point that He bled out. And Jesus, during this holiday time, which was meant for celebration, took the cup. And He gave thanks. And He said, drink from it, all of you, for this is My blood covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Well, verse 30, I'm almost done with my message this morning. After singing a hymn, they went out, Sandra, you might as well go back. Because verse 30 is all about you and Delbert. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount, Mount of Olives. You know what that means? Well, it's time to go. It's time that while we sit here today, we remember. Right? We don't forget. Secondly, we proclaim it. That means it's time to go, it's time to tell. From Tiffin Baptist Church, thank you for listening to this sermon. Our Sunday service starts at 1045, and we'd love to have you join us.